Welcome to Onichi, News and Insights from a New York Courts. I'm John Carr. In today's Diversity Dialogue segment, we're pleased and honored to have an opportunity to chat with Vishnu Priya, Principal Applications Programmer in the Court System's Division of Technology. Vishnu is a native of India who came to the United States in 2001 with a bachelor's degree in electrical and electronics engineering. She earned a master's in information science at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. Vishnu came to work for the court system shortly after graduating from RPI and has been a member of the court family ever since. Vishnu, thank you for coming on the program. Let's start at a very good place, the beginning, and tell me, if you would, about your childhood, where you grew up, what your parents did, who or what inspired you. Thank you, John, firstly, for having me here and for giving me the opportunity to share my story. Um, So, well, starting at the beginning, um, I grew up in Chennai, which is a seaside city in southern India. You know, I had a typical childhood. But um, one thing that's different from here is, you know, I grew up in a large extended family of like eight people in my house. And uh, my mom was a chemistry lecturer before she was married to my father. My dad, he uh, owned a business that manufactured these one-off research-based projects, you know, rocket ship uh, parts for the launch of the rocket or, you know, mining conveyor belts or weather radars. So he's, you know, always been immersed in the sciences a little bit. And uh, my brother is also in the sciences and engineering. So he's a mechanical engineer, so. What uh, would you like native-born Americans to know about life in India and the Indian people? It's lower paced, you know, life in India is very, not laid back to the extent where it's completely not time-based, but it's a little slower. There's more of a focus on community's involvement in your upbringing or your life is, is more prevalent in India and um, and you know there's no one definition for the people or India itself you know we're a conglomerate of these different diverse religions and cultures and languages that all form this one country called India but we're very very different from area to region to state we speak different languages, dress differently, celebrate different things, eat different foods. So everything about our lives is as diverse as the people. And so it's a very diverse place with a deep history, you know, thousands of years. We've had, you know, Mughals invade us. We've had the British colonialism. So we have a lot of influences with a, that kind of add to the richness of the people and the culture. Now, do you... Uh customs and traditions are they different depending on which region you're from or are there common traditions common there are some uh, depending it also uh, obviously dependent on the religions you practice you know we have a lot of religions in india and uh, the, the major religion is hinduism so there are a common theme and thread of festivals that every hindu celebrates but within that band you know of hinduism there's also subsets that celebrates different things that do things a little differently that eat different foods or you know the focus is on different aspects of the festival itself you know where i grew up there they have a harvest festival which we didn't celebrate the place i'm from originally so they just do things a little differently it's very nuanced my my guess is that with your 
parents' background, you may may have developed an interest in technology fairly young. Is that right? Yes, you know, being immersed in it day in and day out. And because my dad owned his own business, he there was no separation. He would bring it home, like there was it wasn't a job for him. That was what he did. So it, there was a lot of discussion at home about you know all his projects, or he'd be pouring over all his drafts and drawings at home. So I'd see him do his work. And he even gave my brother and I a jet engine to pull apart, and we were like 10 or 12, and we were very thrilled to pull it apart, but uh, got only halfway through putting it back together again. (laughs) Uh, So, um, yes, I was immersed in the sciences and technology and engineering from an early age. Now, what about your mother? Were... um... Was mainstream India uh, welcoming, receptive to women in technology at that time? While I was growing up, it was more prevalent that women worked in general and uh, women in sciences was, you know, not something that was frowned upon or you know, it wasn't a very small margin of women who were in sciences. India's always been very forward thinking in that regard. You know, we've had lots of scientists even in the early 1900s. So uh, we've had some physicists and scientists who were women. And um, so, you know, it's not, it's not something that's uncommon. They don't like discourage it, but it's not common in that everybody doesn't get into it. So it's not discouraged, but not commonplace. But when I was growing up, it was very prevalent. It sounds like you grew up in a wonderful place with lots of opportunities. So what what brought you to the United States? Well, I wanted to come here to get my master's degree. And, um, you know, most people know that the U.S. is renowned worldwide for the quality in higher education, especially in the sciences and technology fields. So I wanted to get my master's degree here, so I came here. Did you intend to stay here, or did you, was your initial plan to study over here and study here and go back home? Uh, I intended to stay here after I came here uh, because, you know, there's better opportunity. Uh, there's more choices for careers or, in general, more freedom and, you know, there's more equality. And also, I met my fiancé and uh, I decided I wanted to make my home here, so I decided I'd stay here. So you graduate from RPI, a, a top-notch uh, technical institute. Uh, with a master's degree, and you need a job. What in the world made you think of the court system of all places? Well, it wasn't my, like, the first thing that popped into my head to when I was looking for a job after graduating. I went the traditional route, you know, I looked in the more mainstream technology shops like Microsoft or wherever else that makes software. So those were my um, focus for a while, but then my fiance, he also works for the court system and he's a programmer. And he said, hey, there's an open position. Do you want to apply for it? You should give it a shot. And I was, uh, and he'd always spoken highly of the courts as a, you know, workplace and the quality and the type of work he did. So I decided I'd give it a try and I got in. And here we are almost 20 years later. (laughs) So, so. So what, do we, what exactly do you do? What does a principal applications programmer for the court system actually do? Uh, most of the programmers series uh, of jobs at the court systems, we, we write the um, 
the systems that the courts use for their day-to-day operations. We we also, you know, deploy the websites that the public would use and internal systems that the administrators use to um, for their day-to-day operations and for decision making. So a principal applications programmer is more like the senior level developer who um, has a team of developers and they try they make the technical architecture decisions or you know they set the direction for their team on how to deploy projects or implement complex pieces of code. So the principal applications programmer is a very seasoned developer who makes design <clears throat> decisions and helps their team solve problems. Now that sounds kind of abstract, but I also know that you were the technical lead for the statewide domestic violence system and also helped develop the order of protection module for criminal and family court use. Is that an example of how technology really helps people in the courts in a very, very tangible and possibly even life-saving way? Oh, that is a good example of um, the work we do and how it facilitates and enhances the court's functions um, and operations. Uh, we we not only write the systems that collect the data about the case, but you know, with like the orders of protection, the the system uses those pieces of data and does complex calculations, which we then disseminate to our partners and our consumers. So, in the case of the orders of protection, uh, our partner and consumer would be the police departments that enforce these orders of protection, you know, which are critical to people's lives. And we also have the FBI and the NICS registry as a consumer, and they get firearm purchase prohibitors from the data we collect that we then calculate to figure out if a certain person cannot purchase a firearm. There's a lot of work we do that um, not just collecting the case information, but we also calculate these numbers or indicators, and we feed them to different consumers. Now, this, it seems like the stakes are, are very, very, very high because w- without that information, I don't know what the court system would do. I don't know what the police would do. And it, it sounds like this, you know, really could be a life or death, life or death matter. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's very uh, critical 24-hour-a-day systems that need to stay up. So there's a lot on the line. We just have to make sure our systems are up 24-7. It's, it's pretty nerve-wracking but rewarding because, you know, you're helping people. Sure, I can see that. Now, much of the time, you know, I think you folks maybe are in the background. The last couple of years, you've been very, very much in the foreground because of the pandemic and, and, and our need to rely very, very quickly and very, very thoroughly on technology. How has a pandemic changed your professional life? that what the pandemic changed is how we as the courts overall operate and function. You know, the courts are very in-person business, you know, the litigants and people come to the courthouses. So the division of technology and everyone involved, the whole courts had to flip and pivot once the pandemic basically shut us down. And we had to figure out a way to take those in-person operations and make them remote. So you know, we did a lot of work to get get our infrastructure in place and our judges trained and uh, 
you know, attorneys who are who aren't court employees, they they needed training too. So we spent a lot of our efforts at DOT helping pe- get people up to speed on how to do these operations remotely. And it also added a lot of new types of work for us at DOT on, you know, remote filings and providing those type of uh, features to the users and the courts. Now, I know the last couple of years you've been uh, focusing on uh, data and business intelligence. For the uninitiated, like me, what exactly does that mean? So I've had more of an interest in the data side. I mean, we do have a large volume and large collection of data being the courts, you know, and that goes back a long time as well on decisions, on filings, on anything you can think of that the courts handle. We have the data. So the BI team, which is a fairly a recent addition to DOT, we are tasked with basically taking the data from these disparate systems that we have that collect case data and we try to collate them and put them together in a centralized warehouse or data mart so that we can then report with that data. So we write reports for court operations. We write reports for court administration. And this, you know, helps them with their day-to-day business and decision-making. You know, whereas more funding needed, if the administrators need to know, they can look at the numbers and figure out which parts need more attention. And with court operations, they can see their caseload data on a day-to-day basis. And we also help with the uh, statistics and the research side. Court research needs a specific data set for whatever research they're trying to accomplish. We give them that. So So we do a lot with the data. So basically, you can't have a fact-based operation without facts, and you provide the facts. Yes, we do. (laughs) Now, there's a a lot of talk in the court system about uh, diversity and the court system's commitment to providing opportunities for people across the spectrum. Has that been your experience? Yes. Uh, Since the start at the beginning, 20, almost 20 years ago, you know, I, I was one of the few you know, I guess, person of color here, but there were other people. There were people who were very welcoming. I never felt like I was um, treated differently. And so, you know, it makes for a good workplace and a good environment to grow and to just be yourself. And everyone at DOT has always been that way. And I have no no reason to believe otherwise because I've been treated that's good to hear. Now, if you were talking to uh, the graduating class at RPI, would you encourage, encourage technology students to consider a career in the courts? Yes, uh, especially if you know you are in, uh, you have a degree in technology, but you have, lean towards uh, public service or you want to help people. This is a good place to have a career where your, you know, your job impacts not not impacts, but your job is impacted and could have an impact on people's lives or just just in general serving the public. Um, so, and there's many opportunities. You know, we have programming jobs, we have help desk jobs because you need to help the courts. Uh, so, if you're more of a people person, you can find a, a career in that 
niche or you could we have you know a vast statewide network you could have a job in networking so we have a lot of opportunities for a technology career in the courts that's good to hear and priya thank you for all you do to keep us up and running every day and, and thank you for coming on the program thank you for having me